Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Apples and Genos Fantasy Hockey Podcast. My name is Nate Gertnibling, and I'll be your host. Today, we're talking about some forwards who had second-half performances that were noteworthy, but unfortunately noteworthy in a bad way. Before we get started, I am going to remind you once again to check the show description, click the link, join the free Apples and Genos Discord community. Easiest way to stay up to date on all Apples and Genos content as it's released. You'll get to meet a lot of people who are all into fantasy hockey just as much as you are. We can talk about these forwards, we can talk about anything else fantasy hockey related you want. But enough with all that, let's talk about these forwards that I have some concerns with. The first one's going to be Clayton Keller from the Arizona Coyotes. Keller, of course, had a pretty big breakout uh, this past season, averaged over 20 minutes in the last half of the season. He only got into 24 games before he had that injury and missed the rest of the season, but he averaged over 20 and a half minutes per game. His IPP around 70% looks good, shooting percentage up at 22%, and on-ice shooting percentage up at 17%. Those are both very high numbers and numbers that you would expect to regress. The shots per 60 and individual scoring chances for per 60 are the numbers that really concern me, down to 6.57 shots per 60 and 4.87 individual scoring chances for per 60 during this 24-game stretch. Uh, It kind of looked like Keller maybe ran out of gas here at the end of the season before getting injured, and he was kind of just being sustained by a really high shooting percentage and on-ice shooting percentage. So I do have some concerns with Keller. Uh, At the beginning of the season, he looked great. He had risen up uh, across the board in his underlying numbers from the previous season. Uh, But really, I think what it comes down to with Keller is that this kind of breakout season was really fueled by that ice time increase that he saw. And don't get me wrong, ice time increases are a great way to produce more fantasy points for our hockey squads. Uh, I don't have uh, an issue with that, but you have to feel pretty confident that Keller's going to get that 20 plus minutes a night for next season to envision drafting him at what I assume his uh, cost will be going into next year. So the fact that Keller fell off this much in these 24 games in the back part of the season is concerning to me. The fact that he was sustained basically just by a high shooting percentage and high on-ice shooting percentage is pretty concerning while the underlying stats started to fall off. So I will probably end up ranking Keller. It's it's interesting. His shots per 60 for the 2020-2021 season and last season both look very similar. 7.98 last season uh, and 7.87 this past season. Uh, the shooting percentage, the big difference, 15.8% on the season this past season and 11.3% the season before that. So obviously that's where a lot of the goal differential came from and then the rest just really being that huge uptick in minutes uh, on the season across 67 games, 20 minutes, 8 seconds average time on ice. And the season before he was down at 16 minutes, 39 seconds. So absolutely massive increase in ice time Um, that's basically getting an extra game every like five games Uh, so obviously that's going to have positive impact on your numbers but the underlying stats kind of tailing off to the back end of the season is definitely concerning for me with Keller Um, I think I'm gonna just rank him basically where I would have him I'm not gonna I'm not going to assume that he's going to get back to where he was in the first half of the season. I'm not going to just assume that he made a big step last year. I'm going to probably average out these past two seasons, keep him in that kind of 
7.9 shots per 60 range and uh, probably have to draw back on that uh, shooting percentage a little bit again. That might have just been an outlier for this past season. Uh, but he'll still be a valuable uh, fantasy asset. I just wonder if he's going to get a little too much love in drafts based on what people are going to perceive as a huge breakout this past season. The second player will be Dylan Strome from the Chicago Blackhawks. 37 games played over the back half of the season, over 19.5 minutes per night, great deployment, 57% IPP, 20.5% shooting percentage, on-ice shooting percentage up at 11.7%. Just 6.04 shots per 60 and 7.03 individual scoring chances for per 60. And neither of those are very impressive numbers. That shooting percentage being so high is obviously concerning. He's never really shown the ability to sustain a high shooting percentage before. He had one season back in 2018-19 where he was up at 16%. And beyond that, he's never had a season above 13.3%. So the end of season number for Strom in terms of shooting percentage was 17.5%. I don't see him being able to match that again, even if he is kind of tied to Kane and Debrinket through the whole season. Um, we're hearing rumors about Debrinket being traded even this offseason. If that happens, then Strom's value would really take uh, downward tumble t to me because I just I just don't see in these numbers that Strom is a guy who's going to generate the chances himself. He kind of needs to be a tag along guy on a line um, where he obviously was that with Kane and Debrinket. And anytime you can get 19 and a half minutes a night playing top line and top power play with those kind of guys, uh, absolutely, that's a valuable player to look at for fantasy. But I have a lot of concerns with Strom and. I wonder if he's going to be one of those guys where he's just going to play poorly enough sometimes where he gets off that line, and so he'll kind of just end up being a guy you filter in and out of your lineup, and I wouldn't want to be really spending any draft capital on a guy like Dylan Strom just because I don't think he has a ceiling of talent uh, based on these numbers and what we've seen through what at this point is a fairly substantial NHL career uh, I don't see him taking a big step. This past season seems to be fueled a bit just by an increase in uh, kind of luck metrics like the shooting percentage here. So Dylan Strom, a guy I'm not really looking to acquire in drafts. If he gets dropped and then uh, gets promoted back onto a top line somewhere and is still getting 19 plus minutes a night, then sure, uh, I'll pick him up off the waiver wire, but not really a guy I'm excited about drafting or anything. Not really a guy I want to uh, invest anything into for my fantasy squads. The third player is going to be Alexis Lafreniere from the Rangers. 35 games played over the back half of the season. Averaged just over 14.5 minutes per night. IPP up at 79%. Shooting percentage up at 18%. On-ice shooting percentage a bit more in line, 9.7%. Just 6.6 .6 shots per 60 and 6.8 individual scoring chances for per 60. Um... I'm just not seeing it with Lafreniere. It seems like he's having a really tough time cracking the top of the lineup. There's nothing about his underlying metrics that says to me that there's a breakout incoming that we should expect in his third year in the league next year. Um, you look at his stats from this season versus last season, and they look pretty consistent. It doesn't look like he really took a leap. You got... Uh, IPP this past season 63%, season before his rookie season was 66%, shots per 60 
6.0 this past season, 5.2 the season before, so 0.8 shots per 60 improvement. Um, individual scoring chances, 4 per 60, 6.5, uh, which is an improvement over his rookie year, 5.25. So he has made an improvement, but he's still got such a long way to go. Like, it would just be tremendous. I, I often talk on this podcast about I want to see shots per 60 around 10 shots per 60 and individual scoring chances 4 per 60 around 10 individual scoring chances 4 per 60. And Lafreniere would have to make really big strides for like four straight years before he'd be in that range. And I just don't see that happening. He's starting from such a low base that it would be really tough to imagine him getting to a point where he's going to be a consistent producer the interesting part is the shooting percentage has been high both seasons 17.9 percent his first season in the league and 17.3 percent over this last season so it seems like he is a bit of a high conversion shooter but it's really hard to project him to get to a point where he's just generating enough chances to make a consistent impact um, he's had chances uh, throughout his first two seasons to get into that top six, and he's never been able to make it stick. And I wonder at this point if the Rangers aren't just trying to find somebody else to fill that top six role, and he might just forever kind of be a third liner at this point. Uh, I'm really not high on Lafreniere. I'm not recommending anyone go out and try to acquire him low uh, in Dynasty. I think he's even probably still rated higher just by virtue of being the first overall pick a few years back. So I'm pretty much all the way out in La on Lafreniere across all formats. Uh, I just think he would have to take such a ridiculously huge step uh, to be fantasy relevant consistently uh, even if he got a lot more minutes he would still not be useful unless he really improved those underlying numbers and for that reason I'm going to be out on Alexis Lafreniere next year. The next guy will be Matt Zuccarello from Minnesota Wild. He played 36 games in the back half of the season just over 18 minutes a game IPP up at 71%, shooting percentage 13.4%, on-ice shooting percentage 13%, the shots per 60, 7.5, individual scoring chances 4 per 60, 6.7. Um, so this isn't truly unexpected. Actually, Zuccarello's numbers, his shots per 60 and individual scoring chances 4 per 60, were the best of the last couple of years for him, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, probably realistically uh, attributable to his line mate over there in Kirill Kaprizov. But I have some concerns with Zuccarello. He's going to be turning 35 in September, first of all, and that's definitely a, a spot where you would start to see some age-related decline if you haven't already. And you have to realize how much he's really hanging off Kaprizov's coattails here. And you also have to realize that the Wild have a lot of players coming up through the system who could supplant Zuccarello on that line. Um, you've already seen Fiala there. You've seen what Matthew Boldy can do. The Wild have other guys who are potentially coming up. You have the center Marco Rossi coming up. 
I don't know if Zuccarello's spot on the top power play and on the top line alongside Kaprizov is as secure as some people will assume that it is just because the chemistry was there this year. I don't know that he maintains this uh, 18 plus minutes per night. He averaged 18 and a half minutes per night on the season, uh, just over 18 minutes per night. Uh, in the back half of the season. So he did see a little bit of a decline in the back half of the season. I'm just unconvinced overall. There's nothing, I would say, glaring about Zuccarello's profile other than the fact that he doesn't really generate shots or individual scoring chances for on his own. So he's definitely dependent on Kaprizov and being on the Kaprizov line. So as long as he's attached to Kaprizov... um, you know, you can be in, and it might not be quite as good as it was this past year, but you can be reasonably certain that he'll have fantasy relevance. But my question is how much we can really bank on that. And I feel like after the season that Zuccarello just had, that he's likely going to be drafted higher than where I'm willing to um, draft him just because I see him probably being drafted more towards his ceiling than towards his floor and for that reason I'll probably take some guys who I think have more upside in that range. Player number five here will be Nicholas Backstrom from the Washington Capitals. Over the back half of the season 35 games played a little bit more than 17 minutes per game. Uh, IPP 44% shooting percentage 7.7% on ice shooting percentage 12.8% just 3.85 shots per 60 and 4.1 individual scoring chances for per 60. Uh, Those numbers really stand out and not in a good way with Backstrom. Uh, This is a guy you're seeing decline year over year in the shots per 60 and individual scoring chances for per 60 numbers going back uh, four years at this point. And you're seeing him struggle to stay on the ice with various injuries uh, over the past few years as well. So, I have a lot of concerns with Backstrom. I think that you have Connor McMichael, who I had talked about on the last episode, just kind of waiting in the wings here, ready to go. And you have to wonder how long uh, an aging Backstrom, he'll be 35 this year, how long Backstrom can really hold off a young gun like that, and whether we can really expect that Backstrom will continue to be the top pivot uh, in Washington if he's really starting to tail off here, which it really looks like he is from the underlying stats. Now, you can also say that he did get kind of unlucky, uh, that 44% IPP and the shooting percentage that low or not indicative I think of Backstrom's level of play still Um, but the underlying stats do suggest that he is experiencing probably what's age-related decline and for that reason I'm probably just going to be out on Backstrom unless he is pretty much absolutely free Um, if he's absolutely free then sure Um, I'll take him and I'll see if he's going to continue to get that kind of deployment but he's also gone down in ice time in each of the last four seasons I think this is a pretty obvious case where the Capitals are gonna have to kind of be forced by his decline to continually just kind of phase him out and uh, phase in uh, McMichael or whoever else they'll bring in to play center so Backstrom another guy that I'm pretty worried about for next season he might end up being very cheap just because of uh, the season that he had so he might end up on a few teams somewhere just in case he uh, turns things around for one magical season or something like that but the underlying stats are suggesting to me that Backstrom is on his way out player number six Jakub Voracek Columbus Blue Jackets 
uh, over the back half of the season, 38 games played, just over 18 minutes of ice per game, 74% IPP, 7.5% shooting percentage, 12.3% on ice shooting percentage, just 5.8 shots per 60, and 4.6 individual scoring chances, 4 per 60. Now, Voracek has never really been a guy to generate a ton of shots or a ton of individual scoring chances for. He's always kind of been the pass-first setup man on top power plays and has always done that role uh, quite well, realistically. He's supplied Giroux and Couturier on Philadelphia for a number of years, and now he's there in Columbus with Patrick Laine and seems to be reprising that role uh, pretty well. Uh, but overall, you're seeing a lot of the same things with Voracek that I alluded to with Backstrom in terms of the decline in underlying statistics. I think that as Columbus matures, uh, some of their young forwards, you know, once Cole Sillinger uh, starts demanding more ice time and Kent Johnson, who they drafted very highly last season and whoever they get this year, I think there will be a lot of guys who start to demand more ice time and I think Voracek will probably be one of the first to go. Um, he really uh, kind of took a dive this year on shots per 60 in particular, and I just wonder if he's really going to be able to sustain that once uh, the Blue Jackets start to give the other guys a little more ice time. Yeah, Voracek going to be 33 in August this season, so again, just one of these players that, he has to be attached to basically to line a the sniper on the team for this to really work for Voracek for fantasy purposes and so whenever you're rostering a player who's dependent on someone else to even be fantasy relevant that's when I have concerns about whether I can realistically uh, expect them to be on my fantasy team long term so Voracek not a guy probably that I'll be drafting anywhere really I'll almost always be looking for someone with more upside in that range because I think we've seen Voracek's upside we know what it is and there's not really much more beyond that but there is the chance that Voracek could go the other way with just age-related decline or coach's decision to move him down the lineup and then he could really uh, really tank yeah. I mean he's not going to tank relative to draft position because you're not going to give up a whole lot to get him but I do think there will be guys with more upside in the range that you're drafting Voracek, and that's where I'd want to go with those picks. Next guy up, Martin Natchez from Carolina. Played 40 games over the back half of the season here, close to 16 minutes of time on ice per game, 67% IPP, 7% shooting percentage, and 7.4% on ice shooting percentage, 8.1 shots per 60, 6.4 individual scoring chances for per 60. This was kind of a step backwards for Natchez. A lot of people thought that he was going to take the next step, but he actually regressed year over year in terms of individual scoring chances for per 60 after taking kind of linear steps the previous two years. So that's something that you don't like to see. His ice time was reduced uh, on the season. Uh, more than a minute per game his ice time was reduced, and even more in this back half of the season here that we see. So Natchez kind of seems to be trending in the wrong direction. You've got a coach in Rod Brindamore who is very unafraid to mix up his lines and move people down the lineup if they're not named Sebastian Ajo or Tevu Teravainen. So Natchez is a guy that I'm pretty worried about. I would not be interested really in drafting him until it's the very, very late rounds. There is still a chance that he... Uh, 
kind of figures it all out and puts it together but we do have three pretty much full seasons at this point uh, of data on Natchez and it just seems like he's kind of hitting the ceiling of where he we can realistically expect him to get to in terms of the underlying numbers and especially you combine that with the potential for him to not even really see a great amount of time on ice and you're looking at a player that might just end up not being what we had hoped he could ascend into and so I feel like there's still a little bit of hype around the name uh, so I'm not really interested in acquiring Natchez in Dynasty or anything like that based on this uh, kind of dip you might want to say some people might be trying to acquire the dip here based on a poor season uh, I don't really think I'm in on that I don't really see uh, anything with Natchez that suggests that he's going to improve to the point where he's really going to make a difference like he might get to a point where okay he's better than I thought he was going to be but I don't know that outside of a change in situation where he's suddenly getting you know 18 19 minutes a night I don't really see a situation in which Natchez is going to be consistently fantasy relevant and so for that reason I'm probably going to be out on Natchez at cost in both dynasty and redraft for next season the next guy up, number eight on the list, is Ryan Johansson from the Nashville Predators. Johansson played 37 games over the second half of the season, just over 16 and a half minutes per game, IPP at 50%, shooting percentage up at 27.5%, on a shooting percentage 16.2%. You're going to see a lot of those crazy numbers with the last few guys on this list. Shots per 60, just 5 shots per 60, 6.5 individual scoring chances, 4 per 60. Johansson was absolutely carried uh, by Matt Duchesne, Roman Yossi, Philip Forsberg. He has no business really being uh, as fantasy relevant as he was in the back half of the season, but he would just got absolutely carried the shooting percentage on the season for Johansson was 22 percent and to put that in context he's never had a season above 13.9 percent before in his career and over the past let me count this one two three four five six seven seasons prior uh, he only had one season above 11.6 percent and that was the 13.9 percent season so Johansson just kind of out of nowhere has an absolute bender of a shooting percentage year. You can't expect something like that to continue into next year. Nashville as a team was kind of on a bender. Uh, the on-ice shooting percentage indicative of that for a lot of these players, 14.4% on-ice shooting percentage for Johansson on the season. And uh, it's just something that you can't bank on going into next year. The time on ice still isn't great. Uh, if he was getting, you know, 19 minutes a night, then okay, maybe there's a chance where he could just volume his way into some fantasy relevance. But once that shooting percentage uh, inevitably regresses back to the mean and Nashville as a team kind of regresses back to the mean, then I think you'll see Johansson kind of go back to being a completely useless uh, player for fantasy. And that's what I'd expect for Johansson in next season. I can't imagine myself drafting him and redraft. If I had him in Dynasty, I would absolutely be trying to sell him in no way, shape, or form am I trying to acquire him based on this past season. Player number 9, Robert Thomas from the St. Louis Blues. 35 games played in the back half of the season. Just over 18.5 minutes per game. Pretty good. 74% IPP. 
24.6% shooting percentage and a 17.8 on ice shooting percentage. Absolutely ridiculous stuff from Thomas. 5.7 shots per 60, 7.3 individual scoring chances for per 60. Thomas is kind of the uh, younger version of Jakub Voracek. I kind of feel like a guy who can dish the puck clearly has some talent in that regard. Uh, but very dependent on line mates. And this is just kind of a profile of player that I'm not really interested in rostering. The shooting percentage on the season was 17.4%. Uh, the highest in his career before that was 13.6%, which came in the previous season. So I think you're in line for a shooting percentage regression there. Also on the season, 15% on ice shooting percentage across the entire season. Uh, you'd expect that to be more in line with his previous couple seasons in the 11% range. So definitely can't expect the on ice or the individual shooting percentage to continue there. And so I'd expect a pretty healthy regression from Thomas. And you also have to wonder, I spoke in the last episode about Vladimir Tarasenko. If Tarasenko does end up uh, moving in the offseason, going to a different team, then Thomas could be a person who's adversely affected by that. Thomas did play on a line with Tarasenko at points throughout the season, and obviously they had some chemistry. Tarasenko had chemistry with pretty much everybody that he played with. Um, Thomas had a great season, no doubt about it. Don't want to take that away from him, but it, he would be very hard-pressed to replicate uh, the point totals that he put up this season. And just the type of player who is not going to score a lot of goals and therefore the type of player that I'm probably fading at cost unless he gets faded uh, considerably in my leagues. So uh, not a great profile here from Rob Thomas, and so for that reason, I will probably be out. Tenth player on this list, Nick Schmaltz, Arizona Coyotes. Played 39 games in the back half of the season, 19 and a half minutes per game, 73% IPP, 22.2% shooting percentage, and a 16.4 on ice shooting percentage. Just 6.4 shots per 60 and 7.0 individual scoring chances for per 60. So again, you kind of get this profile of a player who's not actually creating a lot of individual chances, uh, but is really getting the benefit of some variance in terms of the shooting percentage and the on-ice shooting percentage. And then just being involved in a lot of goals that are going on on the ice with the 73% IPP. So... Schmaltz did get an uptick in ice time. Don't want to take that away from him, especially in this stretch here in the back half where he's averaging close to 20 minutes a night. If that continues, that's definitely a way you can volume your way into stats, as I alluded to earlier. Uh, that's definitely a possibility with Schmaltz. The shooting percentage is way too high. The on-ice shooting percentage on a team like Arizona where there's not a lot of talent around him is just ridiculous. Like That's one of the most impressive stretches <laughs> we've seen from a player, the stretch that Nick Schmaltz went on where it seemed like just completely by himself he was carrying the entire Coyotes team. Um, but just not something you can bank on moving forward until the Coyotes really have some true talent around him. And... To be honest, I don't think Schmaltz is the kind of talent that you build around. He's kind of more of a second-line center, probably. Uh, maybe even a third-line center on a good team. So Nick Schmaltz uh, might volume his way into some stats, but not a profile that you're going to get excited about. Really, the bender in the back half of the season was fueled by some unsustainable uh 
percentages on sustainable variants. And so I'm probably going to be out on Nick Schmaltz. I don't think he's going to go super high in drafts, so I don't think you'd have to pay up a lot. But what we saw from Schmaltz last season was the absolute pinnacle, I think, that you could possibly expect from him. And so... I can't imagine a scenario in which he's really going to return any value for you. He might get hot, uh, he might be a waiver wire pickup throughout the year, but not someone that I'm going to be looking to draft in my drafts next season. Number 11, Jack Roslevic from the Columbus Blue Jackets. 39 games played, just under 16.5 minutes per game. 64% IPP, 20.6% shooting percentage, 11.9% on ice shooting percentage, 6.8 shots per 60, and 7.2 individual scoring chances for per 60. So again, another player kind of fueled by some unsustainable percentages. Don't see really terrific individual um, shot generation or chance generation numbers out of Roslovic. Seemed like he got a little bit lucky, got moved up the lineup, and uh, kind of capitalized for a brief stretch. So in comparison to his other seasons, you see the IPP seems to be generally in line. Shots per 60 was one of his highest marks, but pretty much in line like within 0.5 shots per 60 of uh, the last couple of seasons the shooting percentage was high relative to his career average you'd expect him to be probably more in the 12 to 13 range rather than the 16.8 percent that he ended the season with so again just painting a picture here of a guy who probably got a little bit lucky um he hasn't really done anything throughout what we have as four pretty much full seasons of work from Roslovic at this point. He hasn't been able to sustain really good rate stats at any point throughout his career. He hasn't really taken a significant step forward at any point in his career. Really, the only points of fantasy relevance and the only reason he's on fantasy managers' radars is because of some of these stretches that he seems to go on where he just goes on a bender and shoots the lights out for a couple of weeks. And so he kind of gets into your mind and you think, oh, maybe there's something there with that Roslovic. You know, he was good for a little bit there. Uh, I don't think there's anything really here with Roslovic. I don't know even that he's going to be one of the top players on the Blue Jackets who are not a top team. Um, so I think there's every chance that Roslovic is just a complete nobody. If you can trade him in Dynasty kind of based on this past season and the thought that there might be something a little more there, then absolutely I'd be trying to move off Roslovic at this point just because I don't see a ceiling for him. Uh, after four seasons in the league, uh, it'd be very, very rare for a player to kind of break out past that point. Um, so Roslovic, just not a profile that I'm interested in hanging on to, and I'd be trying to move off of him in Dynasty. The last player, number 12 on this list, not someone I really wanted to be talking about. I do like this player, and I wish there was more of a breakout that I could foresee for him. Nico Heischer from the New Jersey Devils. Over the back half of the season, 32 games played, almost 20 minutes a night. Uh, a lot of that due to Jack Hughes' absence, obviously. 81.8% IPP, 17.6% shooting percentage, 12.5% on ice shooting percentage, but the shots per 60 just 7.0 and the individual scoring chances 4 per 60, 8.6, not bad, uh, but definitely not great numbers from Heeshear. So what you see with Heeshear is kind of a very consistent profile across the last few years. 
You don't really see the shots per 60 in terms of the full season numbers moving that much. If anything, they've come down slightly from uh, his first few seasons in the league, which is not what you want to see. The individual scoring chances, very consistent across his five years in the league at this point. I really don't see anything in Heischer's profile, and especially in this last half of this past season, to suggest that he's really taken a step. Uh, all those points seem to be just some IPP variance, some shooting percentage variance, and I really am struggling to see a path for extended fantasy relevance for Heischer. He can be um, kind of a back-end, a waiver-wire in your kind of standard 12-team Yahoo leagues or whatever you're playing in. He can be that kind of back-end of your roster or waiver-wire kind of guy. I just don't really see where Heischer is going to be a guy that you absolutely have to have in your lineup and you're not even thinking about dropping him at any point in the season. I don't think that's really going to be the norm for Heischer. I've heard some people talk him up like, um, oh yeah, he's definitely going to be a consistent 65 to 70 point player. I don't really know if that's the case. I think that Hughes is obviously, as he grows into the role, going to dominate even more of the ice time and especially the power play. Um, and the puck will go through Hughes. He sure is going to be a complementary player uh, on that power play. He could even get moved off the top power play as New Jersey continues to mature some of their players. You know, they have players like Alexander Holtz in the pipeline, who a lot of people are excited about. There's just a lot of factors with Heischer that make me think that um, I, he just doesn't have the ceiling that I'm looking for, either for this season or really for the rest of his career. And so for that reason, I think that Heischer is probably going to be slightly overdrafted, and he's probably going to end up more as like a waiver wire replacement level player rather than a mainstay in your lineup. So... Not one I love to talk about. I do like Nico Heischer, the player, and I wish that there was more in his profile that I could talk him up and say that he's going to break out in a big way for next year. But uh, I got to go with what the numbers are telling me, and the numbers are telling me that there's probably not uh, a sixth-year breakout coming for Nico Heischer, and you should probably be out on him at cost for 2022-23. And that's all I've got for this episode. Hopefully it brought you some value, helped you get a little bit better at fantasy hockey today. If you want to get more content from Apples and Genos, you can get guaranteed answers to all of your fantasy hockey questions. You can check out the Apples and Genos Patreon, which will be linked in the show description. Right now it's just $1 per month. So... You really can't beat that kind of deal. One thing I'm working on kind of behind the scenes right now is I'm working on putting together my top 50 NHL prospects for the 2022 NHL entry draft coming up uh, in the early part of July. That'll be coming out soon, and that will go only to Patreon members. So make sure that you're in the Patreon $1 a month if you want to get my top 50 for fantasy uh, from that 2022 NHL draft. Many thanks as well to the band there there for supplying the music for this podcast. Please check out their Spotify, see what they're doing. Love the music that we've been able to put on this podcast from them. And that's going to be it, folks. Much love. Mm-hmm.